Well, hey, and welcome to the Brand Builder Show. We're back for another episode, and today's one is honestly a really interesting episode. I enjoyed recording this episode as much, if not more, than any others I have, just to be able to chat about buying, selling businesses, the market, what it looks like, where it's going, and honestly, some really interesting strategies that you don't hear talked about much. I've been thinking about some of this stuff, and it was really good to be able to chat it through with Greg. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the strategies that we talked about that are maybe uh, beyond what a traditional Amazon FBA business would look like. And uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Do let me know. Feel free to reach out via email or any of our social channels. You'll find all of the links in the description below. But uh, without further ado, let's get into this episode because it is a real good one with Greg from Empire Flippers. Awesome. Welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. I'm here with Greg from Empire Flippers. Greg, great to have you on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. I can't wait to uh, hopefully add some value to your audience. Definitely. Yeah, we chat for a couple of minutes there and I'm already excited about everything you're going to be sharing. So um, exciting times. Tell us a little bit about yourself, though, where what you do with Empire Flippers and whereabouts in the world you are right now. Sure. So I am the head of marketing of Empire Flippers. I lead the marketing team and a big part of that is actually uh, doing what I'm doing right here, educating the market uh, about, you know, first off, telling them, hey, the good news, you can sell your business. And the second thing, educating them on how to do it in the best possible way. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as where I am currently right now, I'm in Bangkok. I normally live in Vietnam, but at the moment I'm in Bangkok. I'm always traveling here and there. Minus the last couple of years has been a little bit harder. But before that, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. And I probably should have said as well, what what uh, what do Empire Flippers do if somebody's never heard mm, yes. of Sure. So uh, we help people buy and sell businesses. So we're the largest curated marketplace in the world now uh, for people to buy businesses. Uh, from a, a seller perspective, we have the, I, I'd wager the largest buying pool of any broker too. Our buyer pool just went above $5 billion of verified wow. liquidity that they can purchase assets with. So if you're a, a bootstrap entrepreneur, Amazon FBA entrepreneur, you're in a very good market right now. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully yeah. this podcast will get you inspired. Mm, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely dive into a bunch of that. So $5 billion, right? And because and I think I, I looked at because um, I'm sort of very intrigued with this idea of acquisitions, buying a business and buying websites, etc. And so I've signed up to a few different, um, and I think, I don't know if I did it with yours, but you have to you have to kind of upload bank screenshots and get verified to kind of see all the juicy details of the of Yeah, the that's us. <laughs> yeah, but so most brokers, they, uh, they have you do a letter of intent and LI, yeah. which we, we have a form of that too. But in order to like really get uh, you know the intimate details of the business, you got to prove to us you actually have the ability to buy the business, yeah. which is one of our differentiators. Buyers really hate that, obviously, but sellers yeah, love yeah, it because yeah. they're talking yeah. to like quality people all the time. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned that you are the um, largest curated marketplace. What, what specifically does that mean? Sure. So curation means we decide what goes live on the marketplace. So gotcha. there are other marketplaces that are bigger that don't have any vetting process whatsoever. And that leads to a lot of scammy or low quality business, especially if it's like a valuation of less than 100K. Um, that's usually where most of the internet scams uh, live in. But uh, for us, we have an entire team dedicated to vetting. That's their whole thing is they look at businesses to make sure that they're quality, they're legitimate, yeah. uh, they're doing what they say they're doing. Uh, we build their profit and loss statements. And it, it can be as complex as like just fixing some errors to rebuilding it all from scratch, which uh, some e-commerce yeah, yeah, yeah. entrepreneurs aren't the best with the numbers <laughs> side of things. So we help them with that. 
Yeah, we were just saying just before. So let's let's talk about that because we I was saying to you I'm on your email list and I saw last week about the um, the FBA business that just got listed for 26 million and it was like you know big talk and I was talking about it and then you said oh it's actually 30 million now because we corrected the numbers so yes. how, how did that happen? So so two things uh, you'll if you look, pay attention to our marketplace and it's. Uh, you know, we, we list new businesses every single Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, USA time. On uh, If it's at the end of the month, there's a good chance the businesses we list, their valuations may change a little bit because of the previous month's numbers becoming finalized. So we actually actively update their valuation on a rolling monthly basis of their of their net profit, right? Uh, so in this situation with the uh, $26 million business, it, one, it had an insane December. So that shot up the valuations uh, when we did the price update in January. But also, like I like I mentioned, there, there was an issue with the numbers in terms, I think it was uh, the COGS, if I remember right. It, it, that's, this is something our vetting team catches, right? Mm -hmm. So we were able to see that because uh, we helped build, rebuild their entire P&L from scratch, basically. And that, that's what led to that bump. So if the seller was on a, uh, you know, say like an uncurated marketplace, that would have been a very painful thing for them to have to learn when they go to sell. They would have missed out on an extra $4 million there. <laughs> Yeah, quite yeah. painful. <laughs> wow. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's crazy. I, I don't know how much you can talk to us about that business, but um, just from what's on the listing, it's I think it was nearly 800 SKUs um, in, based in the UK, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. I actually haven't deep dived into the business. Funny yeah. enough, I, that business came uh, as a shocker to me because uh, <laughs> I like usually we get told uh, like sales team will alert my team when we have a big listing so we can give it like some extra love and like make mm -hmm. sure to follow it. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of marketing stuff we do on, on the on the back end there, but this time they, they forgot. So it was like, oh wait, what? What? <laughs> so they were just too sticker shocked themselves, I guess. I haven't done a super deep dive yet into the business, but uh, once it sells, which we're pretty confident it will sell because it's a pretty high quality one, uh, yeah. you'll definitely be hearing from that seller if they're open to it to come onto our podcast. So good, yeah. Now that'd be amazing if they do. Please give them my details as well, because I'd love to. Interview them. <laughs> I will, I will. Yeah, I'm sure she's going to be very excited. So uh, yeah. she she should be very happy with the with the deal yeah. we get for her. Hopefully, amazing. And that's a female business owner as well, which is amazing. Great to see. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's really good. Um, you uh, you talked about obviously the size of it. Did, does that change the the buyer profile, the process at all from a two three million dollar business? How does it work? Yes, so um, I would say even up to the five million mark, you might end up still getting someone who's like a, what I would consider an ultra high net worth individual buying that business. But when it comes to a business this size, that's really when you're starting to get into more private equity and family offices, or in the FBA space, uh, aggregators, which are basically very similar to a search fund mechanism in the FBA world. I, 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 you're probably not familiar with a search fund, uh, or are you? Do you know what a search fund is? No, 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 no. So uh, an aggregator, uh, an FBA, uh, FBA aggregator, is in a lot of ways a very fancy version of a search fund in my view. So a search fund is basically like, uh, I graduate from uh, the Wharton Business School, and instead of wanting to go into high finance, I want to become my own entrepreneur. So they'll go to private equity, they'll get money from the private equity, the, the private equity will pay them say like 70, 80K a year to go hunting for business opportunities, to go buy a business. And then the private equity funds that acquisition and that uh, student who is now an entrepreneur through acquisition owns a chunk of that equity without actually ever using any of their own money. So the, the, 
that search fund is basically like kills two birds with one stone for the private equity because they don't actually run the businesses right yeah. uh and aggregator is very similar in that fashion obviously a lot of differences but in, in in the in the mainstream that like that's the kind of what their function is right so those are the kind of buyers you'd be looking at as aggregators search funds uh maybe a high net worth individual but much more rare yeah right right and because you guys would um because my initial thought was you would only sell to, to private buyers but you would uh, put the deals out to aggregators as well and you're not sort of biased in that sense oh for sure i, I mean in a lot of ways and this is going to sound a bit weird but i often joke with my team that uh, the aggregators are like our children because yeah. we are the ones that help them get all their traction right yeah. uh, a lot of people don't know this like everyone says thrasio is the first one but Thrasio was the first successful one. Like we saw them back in 2017 and 2018 and they were not very successful. They had yeah. not figured it out like Thrasio did. So uh, Thrasio was like the first successful one. Uh, they bought tons from us uh, and basically still buy tons from us. They bought millions and millions from us and all the aggregators basically do. And uh, new, newer aggregators, they often come to our marketplace first because they don't have any deal flow yet, right? Because mm. it's very hard to get private deal flow. It's a very competitive mm. space. So. Uh, pretty much all of them use brokers um, and as a seller like so if someone is in your audience i highly recommend it like it doesn't have to be us but i highly recommend you use a broker in this environment uh, because a good broker with good relationships with the aggregators is going to actually let you sell for way more because mm -hmm. the broker knows how to make the aggregators compete for what you have yeah so would you you would class yourselves as uh, somewhat of a brokerage yeah, we're an M&A firm, you know, we're an M&A firm that happens to be positioned like a marketplace, right? Um, but that, like, once you get above, say, uh, especially like above 200,000 in terms of your valuation, we're very much more similar to an M&A firm than a marketplace. Like we're building your P&L, we're doing the valuations, we're negotiating, we're even migrating the asset on your behalf. We're managing your earnout payments, stabilization payments, you name it. We're a full service M&A brokerage. Yeah, right. And what would you say to the people that if they're thinking about selling their business, they think, well, you're just selling it to an aggregator. I could just go to the aggregator. Why, why would it come <laughs> so th this is an excellent. I, I'm really glad you asked this, actually. This was a, a pre-planned question just so your no, audience sorry. knows. Sorry for going off script. I apologize. <laughs> no, I love this question because this is a very important question. So there, there is something I call the uh, the off-market fallacy. And this is this really trips up entrepreneurs a lot, especially in the high end when you're dealing with an aggregators because the stakes are so much bigger. So the off-market fallacy is this idea like, okay, I'm not going to go to a broker because I don't want to pay a commission when I can just go to, say, the aggregator and not pay a commission. And the logic makes sense on the surface, but it's only surface deep because when you go a few inches down, the buyer, say the aggregator, absolutely loves it that you're thinking this way. They want you to think that way because that means they're going to get a way better deal. And the reason why they're going to get a better deal is because selling a business is a highlight event. It's not something an entrepreneur is doing every single day. We do it every day, right? An entrepreneur, they might do it if they're super prolific, maybe once every two years, because it takes time to build up a big business, right? So that means they're already operating as an unsavvy seller to an extremely savvy buyer. You're like aggregators, they're uh, financiers, the acquisitions managers. These people have done really big deals, much bigger than anything we've seen in the FBA space for the most part. Like these are high finance wizards they know exactly how to acquire right so you're already at a disadvantage and what happens here is that aggregator will then use uh, a marketing uh, skill called urgency and scarcity right say tell you what Donovan I will uh, give you 1.4 million dollars right now no questions asked you have three days to say yes 
Mm-hmm. Like, as an FBA seller, like, holy shit, I'm about to become a millionaire if I just say yes. This is a ton of pressure, right? Versus if you came to a broker and you ate the commission, you'd probably make way more money. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, we have a story of a guy, uh, he did get offered that $1.4 million with like the three-day timeline to say yes. He came to us for a second opinion. We told him, well, you, you are worth way more than this. And we sold it for $2.1 million a few weeks later with $1.8 uh, million up front. So just his upfront amount was bigger than the entirety of the deal. So mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's why I call it the off-market fallacy because it sounds so good until you look deeper into it and you're playing right into the buyer's hands. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's so true, so true. And you know, you, you, it's a massive, massive deal. It's going to be a life-changing thing, so you want to make sure you're you get the best. For sure, it's extremely stressful. Even the smoothest mm. transactions are very stressful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's you mentioned about the you know the market and everything. There's a lot of buzz around it. Um, even scarcity, you know, uh, do you feel like this is going to be something that is going to last in terms of the valuations growing, the buzz? Is there a bubble that's going to burst? How do, how do you see the next few years going? Sure. So I don't think we're necessarily in a bubble. So if you look at uh, online businesses, so I, I've been with EF for almost six years. And when I first started, the main business we sold were content sites. And we still sell a lot of content sites, like affiliate sites and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sell apps, we sell pretty much anything, right? So. I'm business model agnostic from that standpoint, but it gives me a very uh, interesting point of view in the sense that like, it's not just FBA businesses that have risen in value. It's also a content sites, e- e-commerce stores like Shopify businesses, they've risen in value, SaaS businesses have risen as well. So I think what we're seeing, especially in the non-SaaS business models is this, uh, this level of parity that's starting to happen. So if you looked at like an offline business, say like a, a lo- your local laundromat or industrial warehouse or something like that, the multiples that they got were extremely bigger than an Amazon FBA business back in 2016 and 2017. Yeah. It's just like no contest, even though the FBA business is printing far more money than that industrial warehouse most likely, right? Like in terms of like actual net profit, it's just like you can't even compare the two. The Amazon FBA business wins every time almost. But what we're seeing now is those traditionally offline businesses their multiple advantage no longer really exists. And the online businesses have been around long enough that people have enough trust in these things that that is adding to that valuation. So that's why I don't think we're necessarily in a bubble. Now, there was a huge spurt of growth in the last two years Mm -hmm. because of COVID, but that growth was already going to happen. It was just going to take 10 years before COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID sped it up is all. Lots of investment in the, you know, what, 13 billion or something raised for aggregators. Like, is, is that going to continue? Do you, do you see it changing the way the whole aggregator space works? Or what do, what do you think about that? I think there's going to be, um, I, I think I think I just was listening to a podcast that there's probably going to be another 500 billion added to the uh to the, the funding for aggregators over the next couple of years. So like, I think it's. I think that's the uh, the liquidity that they're looking to get into the market, yeah, to grow them. So uh, that number could be wrong. This is just a podcast I was listening to uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. I, I'm terrible with numbers off the top of my head, but it was an insanely okay. big number. But, uh, but yeah, so in terms of what I see happening, I see a lot more aggregators coming to board, and that's going to make a lot more competition. And the really, like, 
uh, innovative aggregators, say like a, a Thrasio, for example, are going to do what they're already doing. They're going to start buying outside of FBA into like they're still going to buy FBA, but they're also going to buy, start buying DDC e-commerce brands. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you look at Thrasio, they've already started doing this with 20% mm -hmm. of their growth coming from DDC acquisitions. Mm -hmm. And then you also see the other aggregators doing what I called uh, buying the whole vertical ecosystem. So they're buying not just FBA brands, but also warehouses. They're buying mm -hmm. SaaS tools they're buying anything around the entire ecosystem itself yeah. to own it right very similar to like how apple does things right where they own yeah. their whole e ecosystem so yeah. um that being said some of them a lot of them are going to fail in the next two years and a lot of the successful ones are probably going to be buying those ones <laughs> mm, yeah, wow. so that, that, that's why i think it's going to happen yeah no that's crazy you must see uh, quite a spectrum of um standard of aggregator but we won't press too much into that but, <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in terms of amazon sellers listening now that are kind of on on their journey um what would be some of your top advice for them to get a business ready to be sellable to take advantage of this new trend yeah so the first thing i would say is even though this is an extremely hot market like you cannot have asked for a better time to sell your FBA business, I would really not allow that to cloud your judgment as the entrepreneur. There's this yeah. tendency that we do in, in investing or in selling a business of like, I gotta sell at the ultimate, the ultimate mark, right? The ultimate highest yeah. price, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that leads us to trouble timing the market, right? It's always bad advice. So um, I always suggest the first step is outline what your personal and business goals are. And that sounds pretty wooey, but uh, I think it's extremely important that you understand why are you selling the business? Like, how, what does this get you to? How does this accomplish something in your life? So that's the first step. Um, <clears throat> the second is knowing what you're actually valued at. Uh, so get a, like do an exit planning call. You could do one with us or whoever, uh, just to figure out like the basics of what you should do. You should be doing that like about six months before you're ready to sell ideally. So you have time to actually do something. Uh, during during those six months, you should be cleaning up all of your uh, documentation, like updating your SOPs, your product launches, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it's not uncommon that something that you used to do that you created SOP for, it, like it's not even possible to do it that way anymore because of the internet changing, right? So it's good to update all of that. Look at your SOP as kind of like the buyer's manual of your business, yeah. right? You want it to be that like detailed and documented. And if you're not using a broker, the best thing you could do is hire an e-commerce accountant to do your books. Like we, we will do it for you uh, when you sell your business with us, but if you choose not to use us, this is like the number one thing I can tell you to do because a lot of FBA entrepreneurs, as you know, is a very capital intensive business. They do their numbers and they're like, oh, yeah. I am not making nearly as much as I thought I was, right? Uh, it's very easy <laughs> to get into that situation. So we wanna make sure that everything yeah, was yeah. good and. And like, don't hire like your family's account. Hire an actual e-commerce account that understands the business. It's extremely important. Yeah. And do it in accrual, not in cash. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, accrual versus cash is so key. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very really easy good, mistake good to slip up on there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do you, in terms of like timeline, what have you, uh, is there anything, any like, I'd be interested to hear any crazy stories uh, of business sales regardless of this parameter but in terms sure. of timeline have you seen anything you know super quick if someone's like right at the beginning of their journey right now how quickly uh, could they you know realistically if they had a good you know five to ten thousand to put into a first product something like that what what are the kind of the time scales you think they could be looking towards maybe a seven-figure exit 
seven figure exit, I'd say probably at least two years. Uh, yep. And that's if you're going pretty fast because you know seven yep. figures, you'll be making around forty to fifty thousand dollars per month net profit uh, over a twelve month average, right? So we look at everything usually on the trailing twelve months. So you really want uh, like at least two years of data. And as your business gets bigger the more timeline you really require. So uh, two years is a good amount of time, like a low seven figure business, maybe you could do it in 14, 16 months uh, with the market being as hot as it is, that's a possibility. Uh, but two years, you're pretty, you're in solid territory to be able to sell a seven figure business. Yeah. And then do you see uh, as the revenue, top line revenue grows, the multiples increase as well? Typically, yeah. So um, as revenue and obviously net profit grows, it lends itself to you having a higher multiple. And if you are able, like, let's say you're an FBA entrepreneur right now and you're worth, um, say, an $800,000 valuation, and you know, like right around the corner, there's going to be these big things that are about to happen that could push you over that uh, seven-figure mm -hmm. threshold. I highly recommend that because, one, you're going to get a multiple bump just because of the bigger revenue. But once you are in that seven-figure range, that's when you're dealing with the aggregators, and they love out-competing each other. And that's going to give you another boost to your multiple. Just them, like, competing for you is going to help you yeah, yeah. Uh, sell for much higher. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, good thoughts. Um, and then, I mean, I'd love to talk a bit, a little bit about buying businesses with you as well, because it's sure. something I think people would be interested in for, from a number of angles, which we'll get to. Um, but just in terms of uh, sort of rounding out on, on the, the selling side of it, um, you know, for Amazon FBA businesses, do you see uh, like uh, one thing? I'm sorry to be on the spot here in terms of numbers, but um, <laughs> it, it, like, my, my the, strong suit. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I, I really should have prepared for this. But um, the, <laughs> in terms of like net profitability, because I see it on Twitter all the time, it's like, would you rather have you know a million dollar business making five hundred thousand profit or a ten million dollar business making five hundred thousand profit? I always choose the bigger business, right? Because more revenue yeah. should theoretically mean a higher multiplication um, but is that how it works in your space yes uh, so I would say um, it like that question really depends on what your goal is right like if your goal is to sell a business then the bigger one makes the most sense to have mm -hmm. like that's the one that you should sell right it's gonna be way yeah, easier yeah. to sell like once you get above the uh it, weirdly once you get above 10 million dollars in terms of valuation mm -hmm. it's actually easier to sell your business like the mm -hmm. same thing with it once you get above a million dollars like the orphan category is that five hundred thousand to one million like that little area is actually like the hardest area to sell a business in because it's the there's the fewest amount of buyers um but, but yeah so i would choose that now if i if my goal is to like you know, be kind of like what we call portfolio Paul, where I'm just looking to build like a bunch of passive income streams and the and having a bunch of the businesses would make sense as long as they're automated, because if one goes down, you know, it's not a big deal necessarily. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. Um, you, you mentioned before we start recording about a, a unique uh, Amazon strategy or, or tactic that you have. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So uh, in my, uh, I was telling uh, Donovan offline, this is my, my clickbait title for this is how to do uh, SEO for Amazon FBA without even owning a website and doing zero SEO yourself. So uh, it's That's a very good. simple strategy. <laughs> uh, so I have a lot of friends in the affiliate marketing space and they're always looking for a good deal. And most of them use the Amazon Associates program, right? Yeah. So if you go to Google and you type in like, let, let's say you were selling blenders, uh, let, you can go into Google, type in best blenders, blenders reviews, the top 10 websites that come up on Google most likely are going to be affiliate.
affiliate websites and how they make money is someone clicks their Amazon affiliate link, goes to Amazon and buy a product, right? They get a commission from that. Uh, it was what Amazon calls this advertising fee. So what you can do as the FBA owner is you can proactively reach out to all 10 of those sites uh, and say like, hey, look, I will give you, uh, you know, 50 bucks to 500 bucks. It'll probably cost you somewhere between there for them to put you, your product on that first result of their product review list and review the product. Now you might need to send the product to them and do all that kind of stuff, right? Which is fine as well. But this allows you to basically dominate the top 10 search results of Google for between like a thousand bucks and maybe 5,000 at the higher end. Mm -hmm. And you start getting organic traffic coming in from them. And now you can take it to one level deeper by having them actually write a single product review of your product and all their other single product reviews on their website. You can even pay them a little extra fee to direct that traffic instead to your competitor's product to that review of your product to funnel all their website traffic to your Amazon product listing. And this is something that is actually a very proven way of doing this. If you look at the mattress space, they do this stuff all the time. They, yeah. uh, the mat, yeah, they actually, uh, I have a friend, he was getting paid, I think five grand a month by a mattress company to allow them to run paid ads to his website, to his reviews, where he still got, uh, where he could still earn the affiliate commission because they just wanted to dominate the first page of Google completely. Yeah. That's a hyper competitive space, yeah. but this is something you can easily apply to FBA and it's a solid winner. Yeah, I heard this guy talking about how uh, I think he was in like the affiliate space as well, and and recently saying about how he had an article ranked number one for, you know, not only a high traffic search term but also a high cost per click search term. So the the value of clicks on his page, uh, you know, he calculated it was getting X amount of clicks and. You know, people were paying X amount of uh, per click to Google for advertising. And see, so he just undercut that by 20% and said, hey, give me X amount a month and you can have that first spot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's absolutely wild. This is exactly it. So affiliates, they, uh, they're some of the best marketers in the world because they're operating on such thin margins uh, for what they get. So they, they can be an amazing source of traffic for you. And they're always looking for deals. If you email them, like, they're like, oh my God, yes, I will gladly take $100. All I have to do is change out a link, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, e it's easy for them. Uh, another strategy you can do with those sites, by the way, if they have a, a Facebook pixel or a Google pixel set up, uh, I don't know if you can do it with Google. I'm pretty, I know you can do it with Facebook. You can rent the pixel from them. So if they're a big content site, you can actually rent that audience for your PPC. Yeah, wow, wow. Massive possibilities. Yeah. And do you know much about like, because I've heard it talked about how the if you are sending traffic from Google to Amazon, it's going to help with the, the SEO signals are going to help with your sort of organic ranking on Amazon. Do you know much about that side of it? Or is that bit too technical. Yes, yes. Uh, no, no, uh, that, that's totally true. Now, I, I don't know if uh, Google SEO specifically is like the best form of that. But I do yeah. know, uh, sending external traffic to Amazon, especially buying traffic, that's the, yeah, the yeah, key yeah. Yeah. element, uh, people who actually buy your product, that sends mm -hmm. a huge buy signal to Amazon, They're like, Oh, my God, people are interested in this love this product. Let's mm -hmm. promote it more because we'll make more money. right? <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. that, that's usually how that system works with external traffic. In fact, uh, some of my friends, their entire product launches are designed around that concept using paid traffic. Yeah, yeah we've got a guy now um, in, in Brandville University, and he's just recently shot up to 
doing like 300,000 a month in sales and, and he's saying he's trying to now target his com best competitor who's doing I think half a million a month and um, and one of their big strategies he's told me is that they are getting um, they're getting ranked on Google for certain buying keywords and then that traffic is being sent to Amazon obviously similar to what you were talking about you know top 10 mm -hmm. and, and then it was sent it to Amazon and that is really boosting their organic rank but I've is the first time I've heard that that um, obviously buying traffic that goes through Google and then, and then buys is going to impact ranking but just purely the SEO alone, the fact that you are ranking high for your Amazon link, you know, it's actually an Amazon yeah, link yeah. ranking high in Google. Amazon love that because they're not having to fund that SEO. They're, you know, they're not having to pay for anything, you know, and so I've heard that theory, but I just didn't know if you'd heard yeah, much about that. So, so one of the things that might be happening there too is SEO tends to be the highest converting form of traffic out there because it's so intent based, right? Yeah. Um, so it could like, it might not even be related to SEO. It's just the fact that you're sending so many people who are going to convert because of that yeah, intent yeah, true, true. that is causing that to happen. And if, if you want to take that whole strategy to the next level, like I know we want to talk about buying businesses. This is kind of related. Uh, we have people like even aggregators do this sometimes where they'll look on our uh, marketplace to buy a content site, say about blenders to yeah, yeah. redistribute all that traffic towards their FBA products, right? Yeah. So they'll buy a $500,000 content site and send all that traffic to their FBA listing. Yeah, and this is, you know, why I wanted to talk to you about it because this is a strategy I've been thinking about is, you know, rather than take money out of the company and, um, you know, have to pay heaps of tax on it, is why not reinvest <laughs> that into assets? You know, because I could take money out of my company and buy assets personally, but a much more tax efficient way is to, is to buy them through the company. And, right. you know, content size is something that I think is a great opportunity, you know, for first time business buyers, let alone. Uh, but, but I think to combine it then with brand owners that could buy, you know, buy media, not just websites, but, you know, media assets that, uh, you know, are congruent with their brand. I just think it's like, I'm, it just fascinates me. I feel like it's just such a big opportunity. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. This is this is something I talk about all the time is that uh, my friend, I have a lot of good FBA friends and a lot of good SEO friends, but they tend to both get very myopic in their own world uh, that they don't see the bigger picture of what is possible. But if you combine, say that, uh, say you bought a, a home and kitchen website, right? And you have this huge audience that is coming through SEO. Well, most SEOs, they never build an email list. It's all about rank it and forget it. And they never do anything else with like the most valuable traffic in the world. So you could go in and buy uh, that content site, build out an email list, build a real brand around that content site. So it goes from what I call a brochure website to a magazine website. So a brochure, like you and I are walking down the street, right? I give you a brochure and you have like two things. You, you will look at it and maybe buy something and then throw away the brochure or just throw it away, but you're not keeping it. Versus a magazine, that might have inherent value. So you might read it, buy something and keep the magazine because it has value, right? So by turning this content site into a magazine style site, building out this huge email list, I always tell people like, this is the easiest way in my view, like if you put in the hard work to build a gigantic e-commerce brand. So you build that home and kitchen website up and you just pull your audience like, hey, what kind of spatula should we make guys? And they all vote and you put that on Amazon. Guess what? You're gonna like, out-compete most spatula companies because you have this yeah. horde of people coming in and buying it at the moment of product launch that you can tap into anytime you want. Yeah. And does this kind of thing, uh, great thoughts, by the way, um, and does this kind of thing add into the valuation of a business? You know, if I go out there and buy a content site that's um, producing or, or is worth, say, 100K, and uh, I add it to my Amazon business that's worth a million, do, do, how, how does that, what are the economics there? 
Sure. So when you do that, uh, you do increase your valuation. Now, it obviously, it's going to be extremely case by case basis, right? Yeah, like, of course, yeah. It's not going to be, um, you know, like a, just an extra five X or something like that <laughs> on a monthly EBITDA. <laughs> like it, we'll have to look at it. But what it does is it does several different things that improves your valuation that I could talk about in a general way. So mm -hmm. one is traffic diversity, right? So most businesses we sell are uh, mono traffic. So they have one channel and that's pretty much it. Like Amazon organic, Amazon PPC, or maybe Amazon or uh, Facebook ads to their Amazon product, right? So if, if all their traffic is coming from Facebook and Facebook like shuts down their account, they don't have a business anymore, right? Their traffic yeah. is gone. So by doing this, you're creating in that extra safety of diversity. Uh, if one channel goes down, you're still going to be good. Uh, so that creates an extra moat that makes your business more valuable. It's harder to copy. And uh, it just builds a better brand and better brands always will get better valuations. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, good. I was glad to hear a bit of like a confirmation, just some things I've been <laughs> thinking about. It's, um, yeah, it's, I think there's this, uh, you know, because so many Amazon sellers, they just focus on Amazon and they won't do the hard yards on, on other aspects. And I think there's so much more value that you can add and, and build equity and, and yeah, diversification. I think there's, there's so many benefits to it. Um, oh, for sure. I, I have so many friends who uh, get lost on that Amazon hamster because the money is so good, right? But then as something happens, like a policy change or what we saw just a few months ago with them changing the warehouse, uh, you know, inventory policy, yeah, yeah. juggling all that. It's like, ooh, yeah. I feel in the pain now <laughs> on yeah. one platform only, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. What, what would you say to like a first time business buyer then? If, if there's people out there listening, thinking, well, I'd either love to just buy a business to start with, or um, you know, what, what are the benefits of buying versus starting? Sure. So in general, uh, and I don't know this to be true. I feel like I read a study somewhere uh, about this, but in general, I would say starting a business from scratch is way riskier than uh, buying a business because mm -hmm. starting one from scratch, you don't have any data. You don't have a product market fit. There's no historical proof of earnings uh, versus buying a business that has all that. It's already done the traction work, which is arguably one of the hardest parts in business. Uh, there's a common thing, like it's way easier to go from $5,000 a month to 10,000 than it is go mm -hmm. from zero to 1,000, right? That's mm -hmm. totally true from what yeah, I have yeah. seen so far working at EF. Um, so one is safer in that regard. Now, if you're brand new, uh, you wanna set the cards up in your failure because just because it's easier doesn't mean it's not hard. It's extremely hard still, right? You could lose your shirt in this business and it's, it's a high value transaction you wanna do. So my advice is start small, uh, take your budget, so say you have um, $300,000 to buy a business with, right? Mm -hmm. You, if you're brand new, you might want to split that into three buckets, so 100,000 each, and buy a 100,000 or less business. And whatever business you buy, make sure you have like 20% in working capital. So if you're buying a 100K business, have 120K to devote for that. So 100K for the mm -hmm. acquisition, 20K if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that puts in some margin of error for you. A lot of people, they end up uh, trying to go too big too fast and they make a lot of mistakes. And because they went so big, like say borrowing a bunch of money, uh, they don't have the luxury for a margin of error. And you want that margin of error when you first begin, because you're probably going to make mistakes, even if you use us, right? We'll we'll coach you on what to do and all that stuff. But obviously running the business, like we can't coach you on that. Yeah, uh, so yeah. like you have to go and do it, right? And that can make mistakes. And you don't want to uh, put yourself out of the game before you're able to swing a few times, right? So that that's some beginner's advice. 
Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You, you mentioned earlier on about um, most deals that are a bit scammy are under 100k. If someone is looking to, you know, if they do have 20, 30, 40,000 and they'd like to buy a business, is it still possible? What, what are the parameters there? Yes, uh, 100% still possible. Uh, so if you use us, you don't have to worry about that. Like maybe something will slip through, but it's extremely rare any of that kind of stuff ever slips through on our marketplace because of our vetting team. Now, if you want to go more private direction, it's still possible to do. There's just some stuff you got to watch out for uh, that are red flags. So um, things like uh, fake reviews, you got to know how to spot those, right? This is very common if you're uh, buying from, say, a Chinese seller. It's very common for them to burn through Seller Central accounts uh, with a bunch of blackout reviews and they just don't care. Uh, so that's something to watch out for. Um, you know, like, do they have products that are not making any money? Uh, that is common, actually, <laughs> we're doing included in there. So then, then you're buying dead inventory. So that 40K business might have like an extra $20,000 of product that's just not really selling very well. So that's something to watch out for. Uh, there's also the friends and family problem on the very low level. This doesn't happen very often in FBA, but it does happen in content sites where basically uh, all the revenue is actually coming from, say, uh, their friends and family just buying the products over a period of time. And that's how they do the scam because the numbers are technically real, uh, but it's just their friends and family. So then they do they, they sell it to you, right? So that's one way uh, that they can get you. Uh, there, there's another thing too. Um, oh, uh, you want to make sure, speaking of the friends and family thing, that the traffic they're com that's coming to the FBA product listing, as much as they can tell, is actually the buying traffic. So uh, something that could happen is say, uh, say that person is selling a business has a giant content site uh, in their portfolio that's driving 100% of the traffic to their FBA product listing. Like, well, does that content site come with the acquisition? Like what happens yeah, once yeah. I acquire this? Are you just like, removing the promotion like it's yeah. <laughs> so like all the yeah. all the sales are going to go away so these are some of the stuff to consider it's it's definitely possible it's 100 percent possible you just got to be more careful yeah yeah no, that's good good thoughts um how are people financing this is it fully cash or i know obviously in america there's sba loans is that mm -hmm. co like a common thing for buying these businesses so SBA is not as common for us as it is for other brokers. And the reason why is we tend to be able to sell them, sell the businesses without SBA. A lot of the other brokers rely much heavier on SBA and we don't. Um, so all the best businesses that would qualify for it is already sold by the time an SBA comes in. That's why we don't like doing SBA. It just takes forever, which obviously yeah. is not great for the, from a seller's perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, not terribly great from a buyer's perspective either. <laughs> the slowness no, doesn't favor really anyone. But um, so that, that does that is an option. Uh, if you're looking at say uh, uh, you know a hundred thousand or even two hundred thousand and less, you're looking at all cash usually. Um, those will almost never get an SBA done, uh, just because there's so many all cash buyers, you're not going to beat them out. Like sellers do not like earnouts usually, unless there's like a big benefit for them to take it right. Uh, so they won't. They'll just do the all cash offer like uh, in most circumstances. So in those cases, you have to move very quick to do all cash. Now you get above 200,000, then yeah, you're you're looking at being able to do some financing, which in our space really comes down to just seller financing. So mm -hmm. you have a 500K business, you put down say uh, 350K and you pay out the other 150K over a period of six months or based on whatever terms you and the seller agreed to, but it's usually seller financing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Interesting. It's, uh, I mean, all, all signs that it's a very hot market. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And, and then just final question then before we round up, like, um, 
or give you a chance to say anything that maybe I haven't asked yet, but um, what kind of strategies do you think might go well for, you know, existing brand owners? Um, is it uh, is strength to add to the business, buying another brand that they can add to their e-commerce portfolio? Or do you think there are other sort of acquisition strategies that existing Amazon sellers should consider? Yeah, so I'm going to give the most annoying answer, which is it depends. It depends on uh, what your current skill sets are. So like for me, for example, I'm a content marketing guy. That's like what I live and breathe as content, right? So for me, it would make a lot of sense to do what we were talking about earlier with the media empire strategy, because I know I could probably pull that off. Not many people uh, would go that direction. Now, if, if the listener in the audience right now is like a, a guru with logistics, I would say that becomes your superpower you pursue more so than the other shiny thing. Look for the boring repetition stuff that you can like do with your eyes closed and look. So in that case, if you're really good at logistics, I would find an FBA business that's really struggling that they have stockouts, that they have logistic issues, which is most of them right now. Right. A lot of them are going through a lot of painful supply chain stuff. If you're a wizard at that, you can get a discount and buy that wounded business, heal it up and you'll gain all the equity on the right up. And you could combine it with your current business if there's synergy, right, between the two products. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Amazing. Yeah, no, interesting, interesting thoughts. Um, is there, yeah, is there anything that I haven't asked you yet today you feel like the uh, the listeners should know? Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you asked some good questions here. Uh, I think it's... Uh, I, I guess I would end it with, um, you know, just don't become myopic in terms of thinking only about Amazon, F Amazon all the time. Like yeah. Amazon at the end of the day is merely a distribution platform for your brand. Yeah. So think of it as a distribution channel, just like we would with Facebook ads, if you really want to go super big and that, that I think that will serve you well. Yeah, definitely. And you're pretty bullish on the market. Hey, next three to five years, lots more growth to come. <laughs> I think so. You know, I, I'm bullish on the internet. You know, I, uh, the, like my life changed completely through internet marketing, right? I used to be an oil filled roughneck up in Alaska and now I'm doing this, right? <laughs> All because of internet marketing. So yeah. it, it's a, I think there, I, like right now has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur, whether you're on the buy side or the sell side, like valuations have gone way up, but there's also a lot more deals for the buyers yeah. to look at. So there's a lot more great businesses to buy than ever before. And on the sell side, there's so many opportunities to make life-changing capital. Uh, even, and we just went through like a massive black swan event here in the world with uh, COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And who like grew is online businesses. So I think the, uh, the, the future looks very bright for most digital entrepreneurs is what I'd say. It's good. That's what we like to hear. Awesome, Greg. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the Brand Builder Show. Appreciate your time massively. And uh, where can people find out more about Empire Flippers and yourself if they're interested to learn more? Sure. Uh, so you, empireflippers.com. Uh, you can also check out our valuation tool. It's just if you Google valuations to Empire Flippers, you'll find it. Uh, and that gives you a, a quick rundown of what your business is worth. Uh, if you want to get, get in contact with me, you can just email me, greg at empireflippers.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Amazing. Like I said, it was a bit different maybe to some of the episodes we've done. We chatted about some uh, maybe more random topics than you might be used to, but I think it's really good as an entrepreneur to look at uh, businesses with a more holistic view. And uh, yeah, real interesting thoughts there that definitely have affirmed some of the things I was thinking about and uh, and definitely uh, lit a bit more interest in them to continue to pursue on my journey. Uh, like I say, reach out. Let me know what you thought on all social media channels. There's uh, the Instagram. There's uh, You can find me on Twitter. 
Twitter. The Amazon FBA community on Twitter continues to grow strong. And uh, I'm uh, twitter.com slash Ben Donovan. You can find me there. And as ever, please do feel free to leave a, uh, a review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. Hit that like button on the video just to help us get these episodes out to more people. The audience is growing and the podcast is gathering a bit of momentum. But any help is always appreciated. We'll be back next week with another great episode. And so uh, I'll see you then.